When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Kaleidoscope and iHeart Podcasts, this is Silenced. I'm Oz Veloshin. In this, our final episode, we bring you some very important context. My co-host and collaborator Anna Arana speaks with Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Gary Pierre-Pierre, the founder of the Haitian Times. You heard a bit from Gary in the previous episode, talking about Radio Haiti founder and journalist Jean-Dominique. Jean-Dominique said, you know, this is not what we talked about. This is not what the movement was supposed to be. And so they were not going to let him live. The movement failed the country in some ways. And they had to get rid of him. This interview is a reunion of sorts. Gary and Anna both lived in Miami in the early 1990s when VAO was active on the airwaves and in the streets. And they worked together as reporters at the Sun Sentinel. Right as the murders began, Gary returned to New York where he first reported at the New York Times and then started his own newspaper. They had a wide-ranging conversation about the role of ethnic media, Miami at the height of the VAO years, Jean-Dominique's murder, and the impact of impunity on the Haitian community. We hope you enjoy it.
So I want to welcome you, Gary Pierre-Pierre, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and founder of The Haitian Times, an English-language publication that serves the Haitian diaspora and is based out of New York City. Gary is also the co-founder of the Center for Community and Ethnic Media at the City University Graduate School of Journalism. And we want to thank you so much for speaking to us. My pleasure. So you were living in Miami in the early 1990s when the murders that we investigated in our series took place, right? Yeah, I was there. Uh, actually, I was on my way out when uh, coming back t to New York when these murders happened. I was not covering, but I, I uh, remember those stories very well. What do you recall about that moment with the broadcasters, the Creole language broadcasters? At that time, Anna, uh, Miami, South Florida in general, had a very vibrant uh, media scene, uh, and it was mostly radio. It was an exciting place. There was revolution in the air, if you will. There was a lot of optimism about what Haiti could become, and Miami was emerging as the center of the diaspora community. Did you listen to the radio stations, the Creole language radio stations? Absolutely. I mean, everyone did. Um, there were you know, a source of information for me because at the time I was covering Haiti for the Sun Sentinel and the Haitian community as well. So that was one of my sources, you know, my, uh, in fact, that was my crowdsource outlet. Whenever I was writing a story about whatever the topic, I would call uh, one of the um, owners and say, listen, I need to talk to people about this, that, and the other. Can you have him call me? And within seconds, my phone in the newsroom was just like flooded. People just were calling. And so I rely on them for uh, sourcing. I was very interested in seeing this movement, VAO, which is a revolutionary movement growing in Miami at the time, led by Father John Juice. Can you talk about that? Did you meet Father John Juice then and what VAO meant for the Miami Haitian community? Yes, I did meet Father John Juice. Uh, God rest his soul, as every journalist did, because he was very active and was, was very somewhat militant. In fact, he had a little song that I remember very well. <laughs> he was just said, Gade makut, gade makut, beyo, beyo. That translates to, look at these makuts, look at these makuts, watch them, keep a watchful eye on them. So that was what VAO means. Basically, it was an a anti-Makut, pro-democracy movement born in Miami, led by Father Jean-Jus. I, I was privy to have been part of that. I mean, as a journalist, of course. These were young people. They were kids. You know, They were young. Uh, many of the members of the VAO, they were idealistic. I didn't know them personally. But it's very important to, to contextualize that moment historically because As I mentioned earlier, no one ever dreamed that something like that could actually become a reality. We all have given hope that we were going to live under a dictatorship. So when, you know, these young people in Haiti, and I need to underscore that, it was happening in Haiti and then came to the U.S. So it, it was an exciting time and everybody, you know, wanted change. Our story starts actually looking at how, even right before Uh, Aristide gets elected, how the diaspora actually helped elect him, right? Well, to some extent, Aristide was a movement that started in Haiti and the uh, diaspora just was uh, bored by that because we hadn't seen any popular movement since 1957. François Papadoc Duvalier elected president in fraudulent elections and then swiftly dissolved parliament, neutered the army, and declared himself president for life until he died in 1971, and then his 19-year-old son was selected 
president for life. We were all thinking that was it. Haiti was doomed. People were not optimistic that anything, any change would be coming. And so when the Lavalas movement started, it was uh, very exciting for a lot of people. It was um, something that people never really dreamed of happening. And so, yes, the diaspora then became part of that movement to help Aristide get elected. I was also struck by the fact that they chose to broadcast in Creole, which was a big political thing, right? The thing is, uh, Creole is spoken by 100% Haitian. Every Haitian speaks Creole. And it was an abomination that the, the media in Haiti was in French because most people didn't understand French, you know, especially if you were not educated, you didn't go to school. And that's why Jean-Dominique, who, when he founded Radio Haiti and Terror, and he broadcast in Creole, it was an instant success. So the whole notion of then having French-only media was just absurd because, you know, you excluded about 70% of the population. Yeah, and I guess that's the purpose. You divide the country. Exactly. You're right. Absolutely. Can you explain to us who Jean-Dominique was and what he was to someone like you? Jean-Dominique was a very courageous journalist and an activist at the same time. And he was an interesting person in many ways. Came from the... Uh, middle class, upper middle class, you know, light skin, who wanted to fight for the poor. I mean, that's very staple of American uh, fair. You know, we know that the rich, a lot of, uh, they, they become a champion of the poor. That's accepted in some families. But in Haiti, that was unaccepted. He was one of the pioneers of that. So like somebody who's comfortable, he's part of the elite, but wants to work with the poor. And he did. And so he was an agronomist and he got killed ultimately because, uh, the Lavalas movement took a dark turn, and so he, he, he got swept into that. This Creole language broadcasters in Miami, they emulated John Dominique. Did you see the similarities when you were reporting on the community? Well, it, it was a different uh, environment. It was a different place. Yes, they did try his style, which was quite effective in mobilizing people. I mentioned earlier that those were my sources for acquired source, and they were able, they were very effective in getting people out. There were protests every day. You have to remember, Miami, unlike New York, uh, Boston, or Montreal, the weather allowed you to gather almost any time. It's warm. It's it's similar to Haiti, and at the time, you had a large population, but a lot of them were not working. Uh, they were undocumented, and so. People just had time, and they could be mobilized, and they were mobilized rather frequently. And I cover many of these protests. Can you describe the community at the time? I mean, it kind of grew between the 70s and the 80s. It kind of just blossomed, right? Well, yeah, there was a moment where in the 80s, you had an influx of vote people that were coming almost every day. When the coup d'etat against Iris didn't happen, you had massive influence, thousands of people. I remember going to Chrome to cover immigrants. I went to Guantanamo, where they were housed temporarily before the Clinton administration could decide what to do. It happened under Bush, and then Clinton inherited that situation as well. And so it was a huge influx, and the majority of them settled in South Florida and doubled the community in less than five years, doubled the number of Haitians and down there. And so 
that influx, they needed social services. And like we've been talking about, there was a lot of activism because there were mistreatments of Haitians compared to Cubans. And so the community was up in arms about that. So by the time we're talking about the murders occurred, there was a significant group, but it was a very poor community at the time. I mean, I was aghast at the fact that this happened. And it was not just in the Haitian community, but the fact that immigrant communities were not being treated the same way as, you know, U.S.-born journalists, that they were killed and then nothing, nobody went after their killers. Everything was just moving so fast in Haiti at that time with Aristide getting deposed by the military and the coup. Yeah, I mean, the events that you just described really uh, pushed those murders to the way, way, way back burner. I mean, even um, the Miami Herald was not covering it all that much. I don't think the Sun Sentinel did. You were at the Sun Sentinel at the time, I believe. And it was like, it was Aristide in Haiti. That was a big story by then. So the, those murders were, were not top of mind for, for us in the media. But the police, you know, I don't think they ever really seriously investigated these cases. I, I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything because I don't have any proof, but it was just never solved. Yeah, they did get the shooters who happened to be Haitian-American or Haitian kids who had arrived also as refugees with their parents. Uh, and that's where it stopped. One of the big things is that we want to sort of think in terms of how the lack of accountability on these murders has continued this whole lack of accountability in places like in Haiti with the murders of journalists. I mean, I looked at John Dominique, but there have been dozens of other Haitian journalists who've been killed in the last 20 years. Well, I mean, just in uh, April of this year, you've had two murders. It's very difficult to be a journalist in Haiti. The justice system is just, like, weak, and that's part of the problems all along. I mean, there are plenty of high-profile killings that have never solved in Haiti. They just don't have the forensic capacity. And most of the time, the architect of these murders, you know, not the trigger person, the architects are very powerful forces, and so nobody can touch them. They're untouchable. Yeah, the system is kind of set up for no investigation. So let's go into the murder of Jean Dominique. The way I see it is that Jean Dominique was not killed because he was a journalist. Jean Dominique was a patriot who loved his country. He was fighting for his country. He was one of the architects of the Live Last movement. And when he saw that the movement had not lived to its expectation, to its uh, aspirations, and he started speaking out. Jonathan Demi, the uh, late great movie director, uh, was a big Haiti file, was really involved in Haiti. A year or two after Jean Dominique was assassinated, he paid the Haitian Times some insane amount of money for us to transcribe this interview Jean Dominique did with Aristide. Even as a journalist, I felt bad for Aristide because he was being skewered, shredded to pieces. I remember one thing, he called him Titid, which was like the, the term of endearment that Haitians had for Aristide, sort of like Titid, sort of like, uh, we love you. That, that was sort of like, by extension, when you said Titid. And Jean-Dominique said, you know, this is not what we talked about. This is not what the movement was supposed to be. You could feel Aristide angst and, and anxiety in answering that question. And there was a very cringeworthy interview. He was being skewered by Jean-Dominique. And so, you know, yeah, they were not going to let him live because he knew too much and he was willing to, to spill what he knew. He knew what happened to the movement or the movement failed 
country in some ways. And they had to get rid of him. More after the break. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go into what happened with Aristide and Lavalas and corruption. What do you think? What happened? It's, you know, the old adage. Power corrupt, absolute power corrupt, absolutely. I think Aristide had the right intention, but I think he underestimated the the forces against him. He wrongly thought that having a popular vote, having the people behind you was truly the power. 
I don't think Lavalas and VAO realized how difficult it was going to be to implement a progressive movement like that in Haiti's really, I would I call it, apartheid-like system. Haiti has majority Black people in it. It's not ruled by Black people. Black people don't make decisions about Haiti. It's the oligarchs and the foreign community, principally the United States. The oligarch and we call it mulatrie, which is sort of like the... Uh, lower rung of light-skinned people who are atop of the food social chain in Haiti, they were extremely powerful. They didn't want all this social responsibility, all of those equity, you know, that this movement was talking about, and they set out to destroy it. So what happened with Aristide and drugs, too? I mean, there's a whole issue of a bunch of people and his group who went into drugs, right? It was at the time the cartels were... Uh, alive and well. Haiti had become uh, a major transshipment. And so the drug trade, uh, it was it was the scourge of the country. And according to many accounts, Aristide profited handsomely during that period. We're still, still going on today. So it was not Aristide didn't create this. It was there before Aristide. He just benefited on it and took advantage and enriched himself, you know, unfortunately. In a way, it's, it's sad and it's something that happens in so many other countries throughout the Americas, right? There are other stuff in terms of the island. You know, you had cholera outbreaks, then you had the earthquake that was devastating. And that kind of even worsened things um, along with the political crisis. It's one crisis after another one. And it was, it was set up for failure. Can you explain that a little more? Well, even before we get into the string of leaders that have misled Haiti badly. Let's go back to 1986 when Baby Doc left. We've emerged after a 29-year dictatorship. There are no institutions. The Duvaliers even destroyed the Boy Scouts because anytime two Haitians got together for anything, it was seen as a threat dictatorship. And so I'm saying all that to say, you know, there were no institutions civil society was extremely weak. And within that background, the U.S. is forcing Haiti to become a democracy overnight. And it was a recipe for disaster. So to me, that policy ushered in all these failed states because the media is weak. The justice system is weak. There are no groups. You know, there's no organizations. The labor movement is weak. There's nothing. And so it was self-fulfilling prophecy that what happened after that was inevitable because democracy does not happen in a vacuum. They have to be structured in place. We couldn't withstand democracy because we hadn't built the democratic institutions. There, there was nothing. We were making it up on the fly at the urging of, of, of the State Department and other U.S. agencies to, to become democracy because they wanted to isolate Cuba to show that Cuba was the only non-democratic country in this hemisphere. And it was really important. And Haiti had to play along, whether or not it was ready. Yeah, there seemed to be just power vacuums in Haiti over and over again. But do you think, I mean, all these movements were led by brilliant people. I'm Aristide, despite whatever you want to think about him, he was a brilliant guy. Jean-Dominique was brilliant. Uh, Father Jean-Just was brilliant, too. Does anything remain from these movements in terms of as we move on to the future? No, the problem is, again, it goes back to the lack of institutions in the country. 
Because these things, for them to live on, they had to be institutions willing to uh, live through them. And because of the turmoil that we've been discussing at length, you, you never had the moment to really build these institutions that underpin a democracy. And so all these movements, they were not by design, but they became a cult of personality. It was like the charismatic leader, and it was not structured well enough for it to live beyond the person who had founded the movement or the organization. And so that's what you have here. That's why they died. They didn't have caretakers. They didn't have people to continue the fight. And so the structures didn't exist in Haiti nor here. When you started uh, the Haitian Times, what did you hope to accomplish with it? And are you halfway there? <laughs> it depends on the day you ask me the, the second question. I wanted to have a better informed community, especially those who were not born or raised in Haiti. We thought that American-style journalism, which is what I felt my readers would understand that, and they would be uh, better informed and then be able to build institutions in, in the community. The next generation, they'll be American-American, and they can wield influence on Washington. They'll understand. Hopefully, they'll be Haitian Times readers who really were motivated and, and just got tired of reading all this stuff about Haiti and decided, like, let's petition our government to make sure the uh, ancestral land is not a hot mess that it is. What do you think is the importance of ethnic media for a community like the Haitian community? It's a glue that holds it together. Because if you think about it, the New York Times, with all, with all its reach and power, CNN, they cannot do that. They're not structured. They can't be, you know, everywhere. They try to synthesize what they think the average viewers or readers will want, and they provide that. But... You know, in a city like New York, where about 70, 60 or 50 or 60 percent of the population, English is a second language or they don't speak English at all. And so without ethnic media, they're clueless as to what's going on. And so that's the kind of role that we play in the community. Although the Haitian Times is in English, the stories that we cover are stories that nobody else, that have huge impact in the community, but nobody else will cover. Right now, Haiti's in a very dark place. Uh, but, you know, the saying goes, it gets darker as dawn is about to enter. And I've always said that Haiti needed a revolution, but the United States would never let it happen because it's in its backyard. But to my surprise, the United States is letting it happen. We have a revolution right now. What's going on in Haiti? It is a revolution because the old oligarch are on the run. Everybody's on the run. The country is tearing itself apart. The system, I'm not saying it's been uprooted, but it it's, it's, has been rocked to its core. And no one is safe there. So now the question is, what emerges out of that? Because there's been a lot of bloodletting. Too much of it. Well, Gary, it's really great catching up to you again. What is it, 30 years later? I'm glad that you took the time to do this with us. Thank you so much because you have had, like you mentioned earlier, sometimes we don't have time for reflection. And you've had, you, this project gave me a chance to reflect on a lot of things over those years. So thank you. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. 
With our flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That was Anna Arana in conversation with Gary Pierre-Pierre, founder of the Haitian Times. That's where you can find his work and lots of in-depth reporting on Haiti. Next time, a special interview with Jacqueline Charles of the Miami Herald about her reporting on the assassination of Haiti's president, Jovenel Moise. Silenced is a Kaleidoscope content original. Produced by Margaret Katcher, Jen Kinney, and Padmini Ragunov. Research assistance from Sibylla Phipps, 
Jeremy Bigwood, and Kira Sinis. Edited by Lacey Roberts. Executive produced by Kate Osborne. Reported and hosted by Anna Arana and me, Osvaloshin. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Music by Oliver Rodigan, a.k.a. Cadenza. Mix and sound design by Kyle Murdoch. Thanks to Mangesh Hatikada, Kostas Linus, and Vahini Shuri. Our executive producers at iHeart are Katrina Norvell and Nikki Itor. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and subscribe to our channel. Thank you. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.